Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Orbital, a podcast about Salford slash Manchester's legendary musical institution, The Fall. You can find us at Spotify, Apple and all the usual suspects. As you probably know by now, we're hosted at play.acast.com forward slash Obrother, and all episodes are also available on YouTube. Search for Obrother Podcast, obviously. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. This week, we're joined by two illustrious guests, Mr. Matt Goody, who's just written Needles and Plastic, The Definitive History of Flying Nun Records, and Mr. Jonathan Ganley, photographer extraordinaire, to discuss the Falls' infamous 1980 tour of New Zealand. Hope you enjoy it. Oh, brother, episode something of series three. I can't think what number it is. Is it four? Four. Anyway, it doesn't really matter, does it? So uh, the voices you hear, obviously, are me, Paul Hanley, and my brother, Steve. Morning, Steve. Oh, morning. Yeah, we don't normally do these in the morning, but there is a reason why we're doing it in the morning today, because our guests, guests to today, are Matt Goody, who's uh, editor, publisher, and uh, more importantly for this podcast, author of Needles and Plastic, which is the history of flying nun records. And we'll get into why flying nun records have a place in the uh, fall history. Uh, and he's joined today by Mr. Jonathan Gamley, who was the photographer who took a lot of shots when we were in New Zealand in uh, 1875, I think it was. Uh, so good morning, gentlemen. Also, for purposes of the tape, as they say on crime fiction, uh, Matt will be the Canadian gentleman, and Jonathan will be the Kiwi. So you should be able to tell everyone, as you probably can't tell who me and Steve are, but you can be able to tell who the other two are. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, good, good morning. Afternoon. Good, e- good evening for us. Yeah. Good evening. Yes. Good evening. So, so what are you, 13 hours behind us, is it? Yes, it's uh, ahead of you. Oh, ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. It's the nine, yeah. Nine, yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Of course you're ahead. Yeah. Nine thirty. Nine thirty Friday night. Yeah. This is actually. Yeah. So I was Friday. It was all right. It's not. It's not done much for us yet. Yeah. yeah. You got a lot to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Can't wait. Right. So good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and um, so yes, the, what we need to talk about today, I will I presume, will predominantly uh, feature the Australian tour. 
and New Zealand tour, more importantly, of 1982, which was, finally enough, was 40 years ago. <laughs> so the reason, um, well, one of the reasons is uh, that Matt has written a book called Needles and Plastic, which is the history of flying moon records, and we'll get on to flying moon records in a minute, uh, but it's a lovely looking book. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, well, that, that record, uh, f- features extremely prominently and we'll get into the more details of that, as you said, but, uh, yes. yeah, it's a, it's a standout record in the story of flying none for better or for worse. As usual with the fall. Yeah. 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 It's got, it's got, it's got, pass. It's, got it's a bit of a curious egg. <laughs> so, um, uh, how old are you, Matt? If you don't mind me asking, you weren't about then. You got to sound too young to be around watching bands in 1982. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, in my early 40s, so I missed out on all of this. So I've, uh, I've come at it from a, kind of a digging in the archives, to try and piece together the very murky story of how that record came to uh, come out and then disappear rather quickly. <laughs> Right, uh, but Jonathan, you had boots on the ground, didn't you? Yeah, I was uh, I was eighteen in nineteen eighty two, and um, yeah, wanted to take photographs of bands, and um, the Fall was one of the first first bands, first live bands that I photographed. Oh, well, what a more auspicious start! Yes, <laughs> and you carried on. You were obviously you were based in New Zealand. You didn't go to Australia, did you, for any of the gigs? No. No, I was right. I was I was here, um, eagle, eagerly anticipating the fall's arrival in August nineteen right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was uh, you know I think uh, the, the people, uh, you know, listeners might not understand what a big deal it was here. Uh, you know, I've been going around on the tour here uh, for the last two weeks, talking to the amount of bands that ended up being on Flying Nun, for example, that may, that were at one of the gigs. Uh, Either particularly the Christchurch and the Auckland gigs. Well, if the people, yeah, you, know, you need a younger roster. They need a younger roster, don't they? If all the people in one were at them gig, <laughs> they all, you know, I, I was down in Dunedin, and everybody, everybody I, I was uh, speaking to from a lot of bands, uh, you know, they all travelled up to to Christchurch as soon as they heard that uh, that the fall were coming, and uh, right. They were all there. We, we were like the New Zealand Sex Pistols, and we? Yeah. yeah. Well, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a name for it. There's a. I'm always curious about how well, how, how much you knew. I mean, Totally Wired was uh, was in the top twenty five, uh, and. Yeah. Uh, in 1980. Yeah, that's one of those facts that got bonded, uh, bandied about before we got there. That we were, we were yeah. a top thirty band in New Zealand, but I'm not. I'm not so sure we actually believed it. To be honest, I don't think I did. I don't think. It, did you, Steve? Uh, I wasn't a fly dream of a casino soul was in the charts. I think wasn't it? it was, yeah, the following yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. eighty two. Yeah, when you yeah. when you came in and then and hex. Was in the charts as well. Yeah, yeah. I think but, that was a top, oh top fifteen. I think maybe. But I think cynically we were cynically we were probably thinking how many records do you have to sell to get in the New Zealand charts. <laughs> Not many. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a percentage game, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think uh, I think uh, the common thing I've heard is about uh, if you make it in the charts, you need to sell about. Five hundred in a week, I think, or something. Five hundred to a stage. Suffice it to say, we didn't make any money out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, totally wired had been in the charts the year before and grotesque had been released as well. Yeah. We had a, uh, a, a DJ in New Zealand who was like, like a, a John Peel figure in a way. And, uh, he, he was playing the fall for a year or two before you arrived. That was, uh, Barry Jenkin. Uh, and he, okay. he was really behind, really behind the fall. He loved the fall. And that would have been the first time I heard the fall would have been on his show at night, on his radio show at night. It's a strange thing that it crossed over, isn't it? Because we couldn't get in terms of chart. Um, certainly, then we couldn't get arrested in the UK. Yeah, I mean, we never bothered in the charts, were we at all? But at that stage, New Zealanders were buying and were really hungry for interesting new music. You know, I look back and think about some of the things that were in the charts, and also, you know, the bands, the bands that toured here in that period. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. I look back. I mean, I made a bit of a list earlier. Um, Go on, then. Let's have a listen. All right. Um, so for your facts and figures, the, the first <laughs> the first, <laughs> the first British new wave punk band, if you like, to play here was The Members. The following year we had... The Members. Yeah, we had Magazine and XTC the following year. Um, so what year, what year was this then? So what, when did The Members tour? 1979. Well, I'm not members. was it? Yep. Yeah, yeah, around that time. Right. Magazine and XTC in 1980. Uh, the Cure and Echo and the Bunnymen in 1981. And 1982 was an absolute bumper year. We had The Clash, <laughs> The Teardrop Explodes, The Fall, Simple Minds, and New Order. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so, all the same. Um, all the same promoter. Mm. Different promoters. Was it Chris Locks? No, no, no. Um, I think Doug and Chris did the Fall and New Order that year. I, I'm not sure who did the others. So the, the, Doug, Doug is Doug Hood. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we should probably talk <laughs> more about the about some of the names behind this. When, whenever there's Doug yeah. and Chris, they're thick as thieves together. So Chris Knox and Doug Hood are okay. yeah, a yeah. big part of the Flying Man story. Yeah, yeah. So we should talk about uh, Chris. No- we'll we'll get to that when we get to the record because. Uh, Chris Knox was the kind of the promoter, wasn't he? He brought us over. Because well, just to set a bit of background for anybody who doesn't know, we were, we, we toured Australia quite extensively just before that. So we were all a bit frazzled by the time I think we got. I think frazzled is a politer way of putting it as anything there. Quite an eventful tour, wasn't it? It was indeed, yes, and fairly well documented by now. I think people can't yeah. stop writing books about it, can they? Still? <laughs> <laughs> so we arrived. We arrived at New Zealand, looking fairly dishevelled and fairly knackered. And the way I remember it is, we came out. Obviously, our luggage was worth about thump and tapney, and there was some. There was a number of photographers there. Yeah, yeah. Were you there, Jonathan? Were you there when we arrived at the airport? Not at Christchurch. No, no. not even at Auckland right. Airport. No. So. so the photographer from the newspaper sort of said, you're going to have to look a bit better than this, lads. This is, you know, this is a big news story, this pub that I'm in New Zealand. <laughs> I think that was the first time ever, don't you? Well, and the last, I think. First and last <laughs> time my, ever. My, my press at the airport, I think it was the last time ever as well. I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark came, out, it. <laughs> Mark came out and did that ridiculously happy sort of, 
Sachet, for want of a better word. Which <laughs> yeah. ended up on the front of the newspaper, much to Mark's chagrin, or shall we say. Yeah, so I think that's how it happened, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, well, there was, uh, there's two newspapers in, the, uh, in Christchurch. There's the Press, which is where the picture appeared, and the, the Star, and both, uh, both papers covered it extensively. But uh, the Press, um, you know, there's a Flying Nun connection there. David Swift was one of the uh, music uh, writers for the paper. He also was a drummer in, in a flying nun band called mainly Spaniards. Uh, and so he was uh, tasked with uh, uh, putting uh, a headline uh, on the, uh, and he, he was told to, uh, to put a headline that would um, appeal to the grannies. Uh, so, and that's why, uh, that's why Mark's picture, because he was smiling. I think he said, uh, swinging the suitcase, the arrival at the arrival end of the airport, uh, I was told to put a caption in a way that the grannies would understand. So I did with a little tongue in cheek. That's the way uh, they would describe it. Happy for guitarist. And Mark's picture did appear in the paper as well, uh, but on, in the inside. And he kind of gave uh, this never got over it. Blazing, uh, blazing interview where he just slagged off almost every band uh, uh, from Manchester and said that, Joy Division was just a, a cheap band playing Doors Licks. I think that was my favorite headline from that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to talk about the promotion, uh, actually, the Christchurch uh, gigs, the, the the town hall one, was put on by a local uh, duo, one of which was uh, Mary Rose Wilkinson, who went on to be in a, in a flying nun band called The Renderers. And okay. uh, one of the reasons that... Um, there was so much. Oh, I'm sure you guys can talk about the all the uh, boot boys and stuff showing up. Was uh, they they promoted the hell out of it, but no, no one bought any tickets in advance, so they didn't hire much security because they thought no one was going to show up. And little did they know that it was going to get inundated by the boot boys and. Uh, <laughs> Get pretty hairy. What, what, what flavor of boot boys were they in them days? Were they skinheads? Yeah. 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 I suppose yeah. so, yeah. Because yeah. that was a big problem. There was, there was a big, maybe slightly earlier than that, but there's a big element of skinheads causing murder at gigs in England. Yeah. At the time. And, well, and I, I talked to a lot of people that went to those gigs, and you know, a lot of them were like 15 years old, and they were kind of slightly terrified about what was going on and kind of watched from the back. And I just remember all the boot boys going to the front and spitting at the band. Yeah, the, the, we've talked about that on this podcast a few yeah. times. Uh, and uh, spitting at gigs is absolutely disgusting, wasn't it? Yeah, and I just and the clean, uh, the kind of the the iconic flying nun band, the Clean, uh, which had actually broken up by that point. Uh, they got back together specifically for that that gig and and the following uh, the, and the um, the one at the university as well, and they were all took tabs of acid before the, the gig and then just proceeded to have cigarettes and, and beer bottles thrown at them for the entire show. And uh, I talked to Bob Scott, who yeah. just remembers uh, playing the keyboard and having a beer bottle smash against it as he was trying to play. Yeah. It's a curious phenomenon in them days, wasn't it? How you showed your appreciation for a band. Yeah. Are you gonna, I'm going to throw bottles at them. I'm going to spit at them. Yeah, I'm going to throw bottles, yeah. <laughs> Good times. And then the ironic thing was, is the the the, the university one. Uh, it was there was no violence at all. No, none of the boot boys showed up for that one. And I don't know what your memories are, but but everybody kind of says that that show was a lot better. Yeah. Uh, so, go on, Steve. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know. I, well, I obviously read 
this recently that one the first night was really bad and the yeah. second night was really good. Mm. That's generally a reaction. Which one's the album? Which one was? Which obviously we're going to get to the, uh, the second one. Obviously, the second oh, that, one was the album. The yeah. One. yeah, we we haven't got to Auckland yeah. yet. We're still we're still <laughs> down on the South Island. Yeah, two there are two the two in Christchurch and then uh, one in Wellington, which. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't seem to be m- remarkable in any kind of way, and then uh, then the final two in Auckland. So I mean, it's kind of curious that they decided to to use uh, the Christchurch headline on, for the Auckland album, but I guess it was kind of the yeah. press of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you you played played three three gigs in New Zealand before you got to Auckland, but. Um, yeah, perhaps, perhaps memories have faded a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, Jonathan, was at, Jonathan was at the first night at, at Main Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just just thinking though about you know that the the business of arriving at the airport because Mark Mark Smith said in his book that there was nobody at the airport, just five guys with long hair saying, "Get in the van." <laughs> Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Okay, um, so since we recorded the first part of this interview, we have had a bit of a break in tra- transmission due to technical issues, and we were talking about the gigs in the South Island where we were supported by The Clean. Now, one of the things, well, very sadly, since we first started talking, um, Amish Kilgore, who was in The Clean, but was a kind of a giant in New Zealand music really in the Dunedin sound has passed away so I don't think we should really move on without speaking about him so um yeah Matthew you were saying you've found an interview with him where he discussed the fall is that right yeah so you know when I was writing uh, the book uh, Hamish was one of the first people I reached out to and I met him in Detroit uh when the clean played there in 2014 I think and I went to New York a few months later and spoke to him uh, for the book and interviewed him, uh, over several days, went back and forth for a few months. And I just went back and listened to the tapes. Uh, cause I remember we talked about the fall a lot and, uh, you know, there's a few gems. Um, and, and I, he was, he said, you know, one of the things he remembers about that first, uh, gig, uh, the university gig in Christchurch was, he said, the fall came on and I played and I was just stunned, uh, how they played that he said they had two drummers and I thought, my God, this is like hearing the Rolling Stones in 1964 or something. They were just so fucking good. And my mind was blown. Uh, and, 
And then he said the next night, he said he didn't speak to the band at all. And then the next night he saw, uh, the only thing he said to Marky Smith is he saw him when he was going into the venue and he said it was a really cold night in Christchurch. And he's, and he said it was fucking freezing. And he said, uh, he saw Mark and he said, it's cold out, isn't it? And he said, oh, it's manky weather. And uh, that was all the only interaction with Mark. And, but he said, uh, interesting for, uh, for you, Paul, uh, was he said he went in when there was sound check. And um, he said um, you were all setting up your gear and everything. And um, he went up to Carl and he said, oh, you know, I've got this um, Rogers uh, drum kit and a Rogers snare. And, uh, you know, you wanted to see if he was interested in using it. And Carl was pretty abrasive he said he said oh bring it up here and he he's uh sort of tapped on he said oh i don't know and hamish just remembers that he was really obnoxious and he said oh well fuck you then whatever and and walked out and uh he said he remembers he walked out in the main entrance and he said he remembers you coming out and saying oh hey you know I hope you weren't uh, offended by Carl or anything, but, uh, and he just said, Oh, you know, I remember that, um, that Paul was really cool. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, he's like, I was sympathetic for Carl cause he had, he had such an attitude, but being in a band with Marky Smith, he would have an attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, unfortunately he had enough attitude for both of us. So I had to be the, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's typical of Carl, that someone comes up and says, I'd like to do you a favour here and make you sound better, and he'll bite his fucking head off. That's that's pretty much Carl's uh, way of rolling. But, I mean, sometimes Carl could be as nice as pie, but, again, I mean, it's one of those things. Um, I don't like the fact that people get credit for sometimes choosing to be nice, if you know what I mean. You're either, not, mm, you're either yeah. a decent person or you're not. You know, the, the fact that you, mm. you can switch it off and on, and, and I'm not really talking about Carly, obviously, but um, people choose to switch it off and on, and then when they deign to be nice occasionally, everyone goes, oh, he was great to me, you know. Oh, he was great to me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and, uh, you know, just uh, – and I, I, I think I mentioned to you uh, – in our botched last recording, but he, and he did, he talked, he was at the, the, at the Brownies gig in New York and he told, it was, went on a was lot he? about that. Yeah. He was there. <laughs> so, so the, yeah, he moved to America, didn't he? Yeah. He moved, to, he moved to New York in the late eighties and he was there for almost 30 years. Yeah. That's where did I, you have anything to I, say for, about the Brownies gig? <laughs> he said it was a fucking disaster. I think that was his exact words. <laughs> yeah. I'd agree. <laughs> yeah, he said that I've seen the film of it it sounds great actually when they actually when, they, when you actually get all uh, five of them on the all of us on that's what I thought too. I, I I watched that YouTube video. I thought, oh, I, you know, this is pretty great <laughs> for most of it. <laughs> I mean, I could there's a bit of it I could have done without, but uh, I mean, it's pretty powerful. It's not. I don't think it's how you best prepare for gigs, is it, Steve? It's not your favourite memory of playing. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I went back and listened to, listened to a couple of interviews with Hamish myself, actually, and he was talking about uh, the boot boys who came to the gig in Christchurch, and it all kicked yeah. off. Do you remember that, Steve? I don't, know. I don't. Do you? I don't, no, not at all, no. No, I mean, no. I remember the New Zealand gigs being really sort of going down really well and I mean not that the two things are uh, necessarily mutually exclusive well, the, the, that you, you got people the town, hall, the town hall gig in Christchurch was 
I think I mentioned this on the uh, in our previous recording, but yeah, Mary Rose Wilkinson, who was in the renders, she was behind that, and um, the ticket sales weren't good, and so they didn't think anybody was good coming, so they didn't hire any security of any uh, size. So it just uh, when the boot boys did show up, it just kind of their presence was felt because no one was controlling it. Uh, and I, and, and how, I, ma- I, how many are we talking here? How many? Well, I, I have a friend, uh, Blair Parks, who was in a band called All Fall Down, um, which was on Flying Nun. And he remembers distinctly um, this this kid who was about 13 or uh, in his school named Mark Fox, who uh, got up on stage and was aping everything uh, Marky Smith was saying. And, he, and Mark was saying, get him off the stage. And this kid was just dancing around. And, uh, and then Jonathan actually pointed out, if you go to the fall gig guide, there's a uh, there's a whole uh, line by line of what Mark is saying to him, get off the stage, get off the stage. And this kid is dancing around mimicking him. So yeah. I've got, here, I've got a chance to get to Yeah. Right, here we are. Okay. Can you get out? Have you got any security in here or anything like that? You know what I mean? Get this boy off the stage, get him out. Right. If he wants to get on fucking stage, he should form a group or something, right? It's superstars or something. You read too many English magazines, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and Blair was older than him. Blair was older than him, and he he said he was like totally terrified. He was standing at the back, and there's this young kid like up front jumping on stage. Couldn't believe it. Well, I, I, I'd been too scared to go and stand at the front of the stage, and I was in the fucking band. So, um, <laughs> good on him. So yeah, in the interview with Hamish, he said that a lot of the boot boys were Polynesian. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess if that's you know if that's what Hamish's experience was, I I, I mean there you know there were big boys around for sure. I mean I remember you know at gigs you would be quite you'd be watching your back. Um, you know when I first started going to gigs, definitely you know I'd feeling that you'd be watching your back. Maybe something might kick off. I mean I I was maybe I was lucky. I never really saw any real aggravation or or violence. But and what, yeah. they, they used to just go to gigs looking for trouble. Yeah, um, I, I found I found a little bit. So, if anyone is anyone is interested in New Zealand music, they um, they couldn't do better than to go to uh, audioculture.co.nz, which is a great New Zealand music site with many many hundreds now of stories um, about different New Zealand, you know, all aspects of New Zealand music. It's a fantastic site. Um, and I found a story about Excess Cafe, which was a an underage venue in Auckland in 1980 and 1981. And the guy who ran Excess Cafe wrote a story, which is on audio culture. Um, just just to sum up what he said about the Boot Boys, he says, oh, "This was Brian Staff. Um, the Auckland Boot Boys were usually skinheads or sported number one haircuts." and went out with girls who looked much the same. Some of these guys were in the army and came up by train from a camp in South Auckland to Excess Cafe each Saturday night. A couple of years previously, the punk rock night spot had been a place called Zwines, where the boot boys' enthusiastic dancing tended to become a little rough and tumble, which often led to push and shove fist fights. Excess Cafe was not as rough as Zwines, but would regularly have the toilet smashed in the men's room and holes punched through the jib board wall. So one day, instead of replastering it, we bought a length of sheet steel and screwed it across the wall and painted it accordingly. 
And there were, well, he says there wasn't any more trouble after that. But further on in the afternoon, he does say, the toilet, the toilet was smashed most weekends. So yeah, if you're going to if you're going to close a venue, then I think the first place you start is to to smash the toilets. Again, it speaks to that we were talking about before about shitting on your own door. Why would you smash the toilets in a place you like to go? Yeah, what is that about? It was a common thing. I mean, the Gladstone in Christchurch, which was the kind of epicenter for the the scene there, uh, had the same thing. You know, the toilets got smashed to pieces and the the bookers and the the pub owners there just said fuck this we're going to bring in cover bands after that and the amount of, uh, the amount of uh, local uh, bands that were attracting these boot boys they did not get as many gigs there after that and that was kind of the end of the gladstone for a while at least i can't imagine <laughs> when I, I jonathan you were saying you you when you were uh, digging up your pictures from the the main street gigs you're there were some boot boys in the pictures there too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Now that was interesting because yes. I hadn't had not looked at the photos. The photos I'd taken of the support bands very closely for a long time, and when I scanned them again, just in the last couple of weeks, the band Nocturnal Projections are playing. Who are one of the support bands the night I went, and I can see two of the band on stage, but in the foreground of the picture are these two boot boy guys. I mean. Not, I can't see them very clearly. I don't think they're real sort of shaved head sort of <laughs> types, but, you know. And they're doing that sort of grappling dance where they kind of grab each other. They're kind of hunched over and they've grabbed each other and they're about to start <laughs> jumping around. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it, which is probably why I took the photo. I mean, I, I, I really can't remember too much else about it. But, yeah, there was this weird sort of... I don't know. I mean, nocturnal projections are, you know, fantastic music, but yeah, maybe they just attracted a, you know, a fair, a rougher, a rougher sort of crowd. I don't know. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that whole element of violence, I mean, it, it, it sounds pretty much worldwide, doesn't it? Since, or maybe, maybe it was just when, when the fall played. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the stories I found, and I mean, this one, this, I kind of remember hearing about stuff like this, but, Doc Martin boots were really sought after and you couldn't get them very easily in New Zealand. And um, people would order them, they would mail order them from a catalogue and they would take a very long time to get here and, you know, they were they were very rare. Anyway, there was a, um, a band, um, the young guys who actually guys I knew from school, uh, called the Screaming Mimis, and Mike, who was the guitarist, he he described in the story again on Audio Culture about his experience wearing his new Doc Martens for the first time to a gig one night. So this is what he said. Um, walking to the gig in his brand-new cherry red boots and it him upside down. Mike said, he was tapping my head against the footpath. I remember being worried about my hair, but I wasn't giving my boots up. They were bloody expensive and they'd taken six months to get here. He told the skinhead they were only size eight and a half. And the reply was, I'll wear them as earrings then. Stop curling your toe. <laughs> so Mike says, at that point of the negotiation, I realized if I protested anymore, I was going to get another hiding and I played the gig in my socks. 
Oh, good times. Oh, no. I don't think tapping would be the word I'd use as he's no. tapping my head against the Because I think there yeah. must have been some kind of uh, difficulty of getting hold of decent boots because one thing I remember about the Australia, at the end, Carl sold one of the crew his, his boots. Yeah. I was going to say that. I was going to say that Carl had Doc Martens, he would have sold them. No, he didn't. He sold, yeah, they yeah. Doc Martens. They were like sort of suede yeah. Chelsea boots. Yeah, and he sold them to oh, what was his name? The, the guy from the crew, I can't remember. But I, I remember Carl. So, and then the, the thing with Carl was what you saw with Carl was what you got. So it wasn't like he could put his other pair of shoes on to go home. No, the shoes he had the shoes he possessed. So he, he, the, um, the the crew guy gave him a pair of old pumps. <laughs> and I remember, I remember getting a postcard. Uh, from the guy. Well, I wish I could remember his name. Really, the, the, the crew we had in Australia and New Zealand were fantastic. But uh, fantastic, weren't they? Yeah. And uh, send, send was it Mitch? Duncan. Was it Mitch? Was it Mitch? It was Mitch. It might yeah. have been Mitch. Well, Mitch was yeah. definitely one of them. But uh, he, he, sent he was a town man. Yeah. Yeah. Sent a postcard. These boots fucking stink, but they look great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's been a, a whole southern hemisphere shortage of decent footwear at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Now you couldn't yeah. get Doc Martin boots. Well, if you're going to want Carl's cast off, so I think you must be desperate for an easy pair of. Yeah. Just give a second, Carl's. He didn't wear, he didn't wear socks either. So, oh God. So, he wore them every night for a 25 date tour. I bet they were fairly uh, noisome by yeah. the end of that tour, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and that's, I was assuming they put them on for the first time the day he set off for the tour, which is in, in no way uh, guaranteed, no. is it? One, one thing about the tour, it sounds like you basically just played through whatever equipment you was available from the support bands. This is what um, Graham Jeffries from Nocturnal Projections said anyway. That you, you yeah, that would basically probably be out. That, that makes sense, yeah. Because we obviously had yeah. gear for yeah. the Australian bit, but we wouldn't have took that to, or would have been, we wouldn't have took that to, when you can see exactly what we took with us on them photographs when we were under the air. On the yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. still drunk it. Yeah, because uh, Hamish couldn't. Re- he Hamish seemed to think he did, he said the the clean didn't, definitely didn't lend any of their gear, but he said it was quite easy to get gear in Christchurch. So he thinks probably that Mary Rose Wilkinson sourced gear for you guys. But yeah, uh, Graham Jeffries wrote a memoir a few years ago, which uh, I helped publish, and he writes about uh, the nocturnal projections who opened. Uh, it was just was it the first only the first night, Jonathan? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> so I didn't make it to the second night. That's that's another story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's several openers, but he the the nocturnal projections were the lent the gear in in uh, yeah. in Auckland for sure. And Graham talks bitterly about how Marky Smith almost broke his amp in in the memoir. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they, 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 they're not big on gratitude. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so we only used we only just used bottled gear, I would imagine. Yeah. And Matt played a bit of guitar. And I did remember. you stay at Chris Knox's house? Did we stay at Chris Knox's house? I think we did, didn't we? Yeah, you know where you stay in the hotel. I don't seem to remember staying in an old yeah. I think we did stay at people's yeah. houses, yeah. No, I seem to remember yeah. staying in some apartment, yeah. yeah. Well, we did that, we did that okay. the whole tour. <laughs> Even in Australia, we had, like, uh, these two apartments where the the 
us lot, the scumbags were in one and Mark and Kay and the other were <laughs> the same guy were in the others. So, uh, yeah, but I think that, that we didn't really do a lot of hotels in Australia and New Zealand. I don't know whether that's how it was. We did have a hotel in Sydney, didn't we? Was- yes, we did. Yes, it was in a particularly salubrious area, as I recall. It was in King's Cross, wasn't it? Yeah. But it was four of us in there. Me, you, Mark, and Craig in one room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Living the> dream. <laughs> so back to New Zealand then. So we, we yeah. did the two gigs. So we did the one at the, the Town Hall, where it kicked off. Mm. And then... Mm. We did the university where everything was good as gold, and except Carl insulted the uh, support man. Uh, <laughs> and then we got to uh, Auckland. And then Wellington. And uh, I remember uh, Mark uh, did an interview with the student paper there, and he was asked about the clean, and he and he said, uh, you know, they're they're pretty good. Uh, that, that lead singer and the drummer, they're they're quite interesting. And the uh, interviewer says, "Well, they're brothers." And he said, "Oh, they're brothers. They could do anything." But uh, <laughs> little did he know that they'd already. And that's broken the ladies and gentlemen. Is the name that she ever gave to me and Steve a comp- got to give me a compliment? <laughs> but I've, I've been I've, I've been watching bits of the clean. They are really good, aren't they? Yep. Oh yeah. And they they uh, they'd broken up at that point, so they broke up in May eighty two, and uh, they heard that the so they just got back together for those those two gigs in Christchurch, and then they uh, yeah, split up again, again, and they didn't get back together. Uh-huh. Yeah, they didn't get back together uh, until uh, yeah. nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, I'm definitely. I was just watching Quick Step, which is a song by them. I'm definitely getting a bit of a fall influence in that. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, all the um, one of the other bands uh, that opened up um, in Auckland was uh, led by uh, Bill Doreen, and he had kind of um, tons of different uh, names over the years. At that time, he was playing uh, as Max Max Quits, I think. Uh, but he was in a band called The Builders, and he he was heavily influenced. He was definitely into the fall as well, and. Uh, um, I uh, Jonathan will remember some of the other bands that opened up, but there was a kind of a who's who of flying nun attended all these gigs. Uh, uh, the Verlaines were in town. They were recording uh, probably their famous single uh, death and the maiden at that time. And they, they were in town and were at those gigs and probably at the party, you probably met them, but uh, probably don't remember it, but everybody yeah, was there. I remember it. it was terrible. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, go on, Jonathan. Yeah, the yeah, that was. I mean, when I look back now, the 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 support bands at the gigs. No, the first. Well, I only went the first night, but yeah, certainly. When I think about you know who was there, in terms of like people I got to know in later years, it's like so many people there, and you know, I, I just didn't know them yet. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, people who became good friends later on. Yeah, well, that must be like the free trade order to the Sex Pistols. We were at that fall gig in 1982. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone there mm-hmm. wanted to form a band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> there you go. Really, yeah. I mean, for, for me, it just uh, you know, when I look back at it now and think, yeah, there was just so many people there that I didn't, you know, I didn't know them yet, but uh, but I came to know them. Yeah. Um, yeah. First night, I think it was, it was Bombers, Nocturnal Projections, with playing support, and then. Uh, Coalition, who I 
pretty sure. I don't think I saw. I didn't take a photo of him anyway. <laughs> and I'm not sure who played the next night. Yeah, Matt, you're right. I think the Verlaines were recording the them. Uh, Bill I don't Doreen, know if they played uh, a support. Yeah, Bill Doreen and the, uh, oh, it was, and the yeah. Herbs. They yeah. were called the Herbs. Children's Hour, maybe. Yeah. Might have played. How many bugs were in between that? How many bugs were in between that? So many, so many. And interesting, I was in uh, Wellington last month, uh, and the entire Flying Nun master tapes are all been donated to the National uh, Library there. And I was curious if the master tapes for Fall in the Hole were there, mm-hmm. and they wow. they are. Uh, and they have uh, recordings from the the op- one of the opening bands as well, Builderine. Uh, Builderine. I think three or four songs of Builderines are on there as well. So they're all sitting there waiting for someone to. If anybody's listening and wants to uh, do a proper well, reissue, I'm pretty the- sure that the reissues have fallen a hole are mastered from the vinyl. So if they've got the master tapes, I'm sure somebody would be interested in. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Jonathan and I have talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are to the point where one of the reissues, had a, had a, you could hear the like pop of lean on the vinyl popping on the, on the CD. I mean, that's yeah. not good, is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the only work of Carl's boots. That yeah, I'm really not sure what who whether it's ever been remastered from those tapes or not. But that, yeah, as as Matt says, those tapes are there now. They're being <laughs> um, they've been. Uh, Put into an amazing archive, anyway. What I mean by that is that, yeah, it's now they're now in a, you know, a temperature controlled environment, and um, you know, hopefully, you know, <laughs> rather than sitting in Chris Knox's house for the last forty years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, there was certainly yeah, um, a lot. Of, yeah, I'm sure Chris had a lot of a lot of stuff that went there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess we should say for people who who don't know who all these people are is, you know, uh, well, I mean, the, the two, two people behind <laughs> uh, the, the two people responsible for the fall in the whole uh, yeah. tapes are Chris Knox, who is. Uh, That's what I thought you were talking about Sportsman. Yes, in, Chris Knox and Doug, Doug Hood are the yeah, two people yeah. who were behind. Doug, yeah. Doug Hood, yeah, and they were kind of uh, flying nuns. Uh, de facto representatives in Auckland and responsible for a lot of the bands up there. They would record, uh, you know, I mean, Jonathan can talk about Doug maybe a bit more in more detail, but he was, he would book gigs all over town and, and bring in out of town bands. And he recorded the clean, their famous boodle, boodle, boodle EP and a ton of other flying on bands, but he both him and Chris were kind of responsible for everything that was happening around there at that time. Yeah. Wouldn't you say Doug? Yeah. And you know, Doug, Doug went on yeah. to, well, Doug went on to be um, a promoter, and yeah, I just look at look at the bands that he brought over, um, and it's just yeah, the most amazing, <laughs> the most amazing lineup really. I mean, my whole you know young <laughs> young adult life was kind of defined by going to these gigs and seeing um, uh, names are going out of my head: John Cale, uh, New Order, um, John Cooper John Clark. Clark. Um, Lou Reed later on in the eighties. Um, yeah, he became wow. he became involved with Doug became involved with the Big Day Out in the in the nineteen nineties. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, the, the Ken West. Well, Ken came. West wasn't it Big Day Out? Yeah. He, he, he did, did, was he more involved in the Australian tour? Did he, I think he did that. Or did he do the whole whole thing? I can't remember. Well, I think I'm not sure how how it was was split up. I mean, it started certainly started in Australia, and then Auckland became just one of the shows on the 
on the schedule. Yeah. And with a big day out, would it would be ninety percent the same as what was being presented in Australia, but there might be more of a more emphasis on um, bands that you know New Zealanders wanted to see, I guess, or more local bands. Um, but yeah, an amazing run of shows there as well. Um, yeah, Doug brought Nirvana to New Zealand, I think, for the first time in the in the nineties. Sort of a bit later. It was like yeah, that's sort of much later. Yeah. And he was also he was also manager of the Chills, yeah. which were kind of the the flying on band to make it overseas. Um, and uh, yeah. And well, and you know, Chris, Chris bought bought the kind of famous story to tell, I guess, is that Chris bought uh, with some inheritance money, bought a four track, which he recorded all his own music with. But him and Doug would record um, gigs all the time, and uh, uh, that's that's how Fall in the Hole was recorded. Yeah. Is uh, you know the the peak four track uh, was uh, so Chris, that party? They'd hold. They the party you mentioned a minute ago, where they came up with the brilliant idea of doing a record. So there's a bit of a discrepancy, isn't there, as to whether they said it was just for just for New Zealand or whether it was. I think people have got different opinions, haven't they? <laughs> well, where to begin with that story? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, several people have said, yeah, they have, the, the party happened, and they kind of. I don't know if you guys remember if it was before before the gig or after the gig, because it, it seems to be some discrepancy if. Uh, when this all happened, but I don't know if you have any memory of the party at all. It seems to be quite a famous party. I, I, I wouldn't have thought. Wouldn't have thought it was before the gig. I seem to remember it being after. Yeah, we're all very professional. We wouldn't have a party mm. before a gig. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, Chris wrote the wrote a little liner note yeah. for the CD reissue, the second CD reissue, and he he basically describes it kind of as a gentleman's agreement, handshake agreement. Uh, where he played back the tapes and everybody thought they were great and can we put this out and oh yeah sure why not um, but um, how, how official it was uh, Jonathan has uh, a story about a, a famous letter uh, he can say more about that yeah I mean I looked I looked back at the at what was written in Riff It Up in the local in our like the local music magazine and um so in August, in August '83, so the, the album came out in November or December. In August '83, it was sort of being teased with the official okay for the album came recently in a letter from singer Marky Smith. Smith also expressed a wish to return to these shores, and um, about that time, <laughs> yeah. uh, I had. How can I put this? I had. A whole lot of photos. Okay, so as you know, I took a whole lot of photos at the gig and a whole lot yeah. of photos at the record shop. And um, Chris Knox heard that I had these photos. I didn't actually know him, but I was. I kind of went <laughs> was taken there and introduced to him by by a mutual friend. And Chris was like, "Yep, yeah, great. These photos are great." Um, and I thought, "Oh, great! Now I'm going to have my photos on the album sleeve." And he's like, no, 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 the sleeve's already done, but I'm going to do an insert as well. And I went, oh, okay, so use your photos for the insert. And I said, yep. And then he said, um, I also had some um, some clippings, reviews and stuff like that. And Chris, Chris was really keen on all that aspect of it as well. Yeah. So I lent him all that stuff, which he had copied and 
uh, was used for the insert. And I also agreed to print some photos for either for him or for Flying Nun. In the end, I think Roger Shepard from Flying Nun paid for paid for the photos I printed. So one night, me and a friend went to went to Chris's Chris and Doug's house where they lived with their with their partners at the time, and um, I arrived there with these photos, and um, the conversation sort of came around <laughs> in a fairly loose way to the letter that had just been received from Mark Smith, and would would we like to see this letter, which which um, you know, and we were like, yeah, sure, we'd love to see a letter from from <laughs> So I've seen the letter, but I can't tell you any of the details about what it said about whether they could release it. Well, I don't think I sat there and read the whole thing, but what what Doug and Chris were, wanted us to see was the last line in the letter where Mark, Smith signed off by saying, I got married last week. Uh So they were kind of amazed by this, I think, that he would just kind of drop this in right at the end of the letter with with no other detail at all, just this sort of, I got married last week letter in. So that that really, I'm afraid, is the only detail I can remember. <laughs> right. So the, the big sticking point is whether it was agreed that it could be distributed anywhere except New Zealand, isn't it? That's what yep. Mark... Yeah. And the fact that, yeah. the fact that it had Mark Riley on the front yeah. cover was another bone of contention, I think. But Yeah. But that's yeah. Well, I think, you know, to put this into... I think we should put it in some context of terms of what Flying Nun was operating like at that time. You know, they were they were in pretty uh, difficult financial uh, situation, the kind of situation like Hamish would talk about, you know, a check would come in the mail, they'd run down to the bank, cash it so they could pay for the next pressing, the next covers. And, you know, they were pressing 300, 500 copies of a record, maybe a thousand. And then all of a sudden there's going to be a double fall record. And the pressing was much, much higher than anything they'd done before that. So, you know, they were, they were, they they saw an opportunity with it. And uh, I think they kind of wanted to run with it because um, at, at that time, you know, it was, it was tough for a lot of the bands, you know, the records would come out, they'd go up on the charts and they'd disappear the next week because they'd run out of uh, stock and they wouldn't be able to repress them. But, and so they had a lot riding on this record for sure. Yeah. So what was the, um, I wonder what, yeah. um, you probably, you wouldn't be able to answer this, but I was wondering what they did. Who were we with then, Steve? What label were we on? Were we, were that, Camera was still going by then, by the time it came out? Or had we gone back to Rough Trade by the time that came I think we probably had, haven't we? probably gone back to Rough Trade by then. We've gone back to Rough Trade, yeah, and then, then didn't they? Didn't copies of it start showing up at Rough Trade in England? Import copies. That's the story, yeah. <laughs> and then Chris got Chris Chris got the phone call from Marky Smith, yelling down the line, "What what what the fuck is this?" And uh, basically, you know, it's funny because it showed up in the charts uh, in for one week, and then it disappeared. Uh, and, um, so from, from what, from what Roger wrote in his memoir and what Hamish is told, it basically, there was an export ban and 
a huge amount of the, the sales were for people overseas. And there's all these reports in the press of 800 copies being uh, pre-sold to people overseas. Um, so they, there weren't a lot, there a huge amount of the records were actually being allocated for people overseas and suddenly they couldn't sell any of them. And Hamish talks about being in the office and just being surrounded by boxes and boxes of boxes of record that they couldn't sell. Oh, a few now, though, are they? Well, they kind of reached a secret deal with a, a label in Wellington called JREM. So they would sell them in bulk to them and then JREM would sell uh-huh. them into Europe. And, uh, and they would be sold at in very inflated prices. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the stories I tell, though, is that, you know, it almost bankrupted the company, but... One of the interesting things that is also kind of the savior of the company in this, in the, because in February of 84, John Peel gets a hold of a copy and he plays it on his show every week for over a month. And, uh, it's, it's the first flying nun record ever to, uh, only the second, I guess, flying nun record ever to be played on Peel's show. And he kind of starts a link between Peel and flying nun. And from there, you know, after he starts playing all those, uh, tracks off fall in a hole, a few months later, he's playing other bands like the great unwashed, which was Hamish's band after the, the clean and children's hour, the chills. And the chills went over on tour uh, there in in 1985, and it kind of just started the ball rolling for Flying Nun in Europe. After that, yeah, I mean that pissed off Mark. If it, I mean if John Peel was playing it every week, surely Mark would have got to hear about that as well. So the, the cease and desist can't have been too can't have been too strong, can it? I think he got his money in the end too. Did he? Did so, he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> as far as That's I know, good. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Can't have been too mad about it. It's, it's available now, isn't it? You, you can still buy it now, I think, can't you? Is it, uh, what 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 labels it all? I suppose Cherry Red have got it now, haven't they? They've got everything else. It was part of that four eighty two box set, uh, or oh, that's a few years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> Not to say last year, but no, it wasn't. That was two thousand and nineteen. I think that came out. So the rights reverted to the fall at, at some point, presumably. I don't know if there's any rights at all. I think they just presume that the rights are theirs. I mean, I don't. I don't know if Chris Knox or, or Doug Hood were consulted at all. I just think they assumed because it's, you know, it came out under their name. I, I don't think there's any paperwork anywhere, <laughs> or anything like that. Any contracts? Uh, that's the court case out then, Steve. There's no paperwork. We'll, we'll never be able to sue for our share. Because Jonathan, isn't there live tracks from some of the other gigs on there yeah, on that there box is. set as well? Yeah. Um, there's yeah oh well there's a there's a set from from the australian tour and there's which is a cd in itself and there's but there's all is that the melbourne live live to air one yeah the melbourne live to air one and there's i think i'm right in saying that that was before carl arrived that so there was just me on the drums on that one i think i think you i think you're right yeah because famously carl was late and and i think there's various other tracks from other tracks that Chris and Doug recorded as well have ended up on there, but how they came there from, no, it's a, it's a bit of a mystery. So the, the original record, had a, did, it, did it have a, um, a single with it? Or was it a 45, the second disc? Yeah. 45 RPM? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah, they famously ran out of tape, and so I think it's a, it's a uh, part of the last songs, which is the encore, are on the 45, and... They're they're not off the four track, right, Jonathan? They're just like a fan's recording no, off a tape recorder one, or something. Yeah, it's 
And Chris, you must have edited all this. It, it sounds quite thrilling because the first track on the 45 of the first track of the encore is Fantastic Life, and that sounds great. That's off the that's off the four track for sure. Then it goes to English Scheme, and it's that's off the cassette because you can hear it suddenly. It just sounds more muffled, right? And then suddenly he's yeah. edited the end of that with okay. the crowd noise straight back into um, whatever the third track on that side is. Sorry, I can't quite recall at the moment, but it's yeah, took quite a lot of trouble. You can tell when you listen to it to 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 you know splice the tape to make it all to make it all work. And, but yeah, when you listen to it on CD now, I mean, it's still actually the cherry red one. I think sounds great. It's really it's really come up well. But where it was mastered from, I have no idea. I don't know whether it was done off the tape. I don't. I don't think it's <laughs> off. The, I don't think it's off the record though. I think it's. Right. It sounds... Well, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't know. Nobody, nobody asked yeah. nobody asked me. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Did, did you did no, Steve, me, did no. you hear did you hear about it at the time? Did you did Mark complain oh. about it to you within We did hear about it at the time, yeah. Um I don't remember him I don't remember him going too mad. I know he hated the cover. I know that. I remember that. I remember him being really yeah. pissed off about the cover. Rather than more, I, I have more of a memory of that than in being pissed off about the existence of the album. I think, yeah, if you know what I mean. And yet he claimed in his yeah. book, he claimed in his book that the cover was his idea. I think that to make, yeah, that's a lot of bollocks. That's absolute <laughs> tripe. That this is how, how he was. He was, he was incensed. Yeah, no, no, that's not true. Well, you know, sort of, sort of understandably, cold. in a way, because it, Mark had just gone <laughs> by then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark was in the pressure of being pushed out in the uh, process of being pushed out the door the whole way through the tour, really. But um, there's a bit in your there's a bit on your website where it says uh, Mark get, starts to try and sing. Look, no, yeah. Mark, Mark walks up. Mark Smith walks yeah. up and pushes the microphone away from him. Yeah, it was it was the most. I was because I was right up the front, and I just remember watching this and thinking, that's interesting. <laughs> No, he just came over and just uh, the microphone. I'm just going to move that away from your mouth now, so that you you can't carry on singing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was it was. Well, uh, Jonathan, what's your what are you what is your memory of the the mood at that uh, the rec the in store where you took all those great photographs that are. Uh, well, my, what was the mood like there? I I remember they're not being. There wasn't a great amount of people there, was there? No, I mean it's had to, it's sort of hard to tell because I didn't really take a photo of. I should have, you know, stepped back. I should have done a lot of things. I should have stepped back and taken a photo of of the whole store, but I didn't. Um, I, no, I don't think there were a great many people there. But um, yeah, the people who were there seemed to. I mean, I <laughs> I was pretty I was pretty shy, and I didn't really talk to anyone. I think my friend and I talked to Mark Riley. A little bit, um, and we and we talked a little bit to Kay as well, um, but didn't really talk to any of any of the rest of you. And I mean, you know, I was just really, I was really shy. You know, <laughs> I was eighteen. I was eighteen, and you, you know, you guys were like, you know, you were like my hero. Well, I, was, I was, I was only eighteen. Oh, hang on a minute, I wasn't even eighteen. I don't yeah. think. We're just about eighteen, yeah. So we would have been yeah. the same age. We could have bonded over our cancer. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I knew. <laughs> yeah, you, 
you definitely seem like the, young, <laughs> the youngest of the crew, Paul, that's for sure. But, oh, know, yes. I, I certainly was the youngest. I was there. I mean, I remember... Remember arriving. I think that's that's got to be the first first install thing we ever did, isn't it? Yeah, I was wondering about that. Was that the first thing that you? I'm a lot of it. Oh no, no, we did a few, did a few more successful ones. Uh, I think one, what one. One thing that comes becomes clear from the photographs, which they are fantastic, those shots from the record shop. Yeah. Uh, one, not in evidence. I think it was this was about. I think one of the reasons there weren't many people there was the same reason Carl Burns wasn't there because it was too early for Carl. Yeah. He never got out of bed in time to get down there. He did turn up. He is in one of the photos towards the end. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. I'll send it to you so you can. <laughs> you can see. Yeah. look at his boots. Yeah. Oh, well, he can't, yeah, no, behind the shop counter, unfortunately. <laughs> now, the guy who ran that record store, he was really, uh, he was really onto it and just in terms of promotion and he, um, you know, he had all the, he, you know, he, he ordered all the, all the hip imports. Um, he really had, had us eating out of his, <laughs> eating out of his hand, really. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> That was one of the few places where you could where you could buy, you know, import records, um, and he was really, you know, he, he. I think he really saw an opportunity there. It was only adver- the only place I found it advertised was in Rip It Up magazine, because um, I did wonder, like, how the hell did we know that it was was going on? Um, Radio Beat student <laughs> station wasn't on air that week, that month, even. Um, and yet, you know, I went down there with my, um, with my mate, we, um, you know, we knew about it. We pretty much, <laughs> we pretty much got up that morning and left the house and disappeared for the afternoon. Um, but yeah, that record shop, he had a huge, um, he had had a, an enormous copy of the sleeve of, of, of the artwork from the, lie dream of a casino soul sleeve okay. in the window. So as you walked up Queen Street, you saw <laughs> just the enormous, <laughs> the enormous. Well, that was our big hit, wasn't it, in Australia? In, sorry, in New Zealand. Australia, Australia. In New Zealand. Yeah. were in the window. Yeah. Um, and if you look at, actually, you know the, the, um, the Palace of Swords reversed album? Yeah. You look at the oh, back yeah. of that, there's a photo of Mark Smith smoking a cigarette and he's got the black eye and you can see the window of the shop behind him. So that was that was taken that was taken that day. Right. Um that's anyway, you linked on like black eye then, didn't he? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he knows about three weeks later. God, he must have given me that bleeding lamp. <laughs> yeah. Well, deservedly so. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, because it's covered, in, it's covered in makeup, covered up, isn't it, on the TV uh, thing? So it must have been quite the shiner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, in one of my photos, you can still see the stitches. I didn't notice for years. But. Hamish said he... He remembers when he they they were in uh, Christchurch. He remembers him having it. <laughs> ah, good times. I can't get a picture of this. I can't find the figure. I got the front of it, but I can't see the back. You can't see. That. I was looking to find the picture of him with the black eye. But never, never mind. I shall find it at a later day. So yeah, yeah. So I remember that was a great record shop, Mark. I remember I bought 
Okay. Well, the banana album there by the Velvet Underground, yeah. which and it, it didn't have the banana on it, it had a different cover. Oh, okay. Which I wish I still, I wish I still had it. I bet it worth a few bob, that. Yeah. Well, what I should have been, what if we'd known, I would have been urging you to buy everything on Flying Nun that you could find in the shop because you would be, <laughs> you'd be cashing in now. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Fall in the hole. I mean, fall in the hole is. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Mm. The original pressing. Yeah. I, I, I just got that uh, new uh, record collector oh, yeah. special on the yeah. wall. And there's uh, there's some super fan in there yeah. who has everything. And he says the one thing he doesn't have is original pressing of Fall in the Hole. Wow. That makes three What's his name? Uh, Nigel Reeve. Right. If we're going to go down that route I did. of the things I should have kept hold of, do you me? God, yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 That, that auction of... The interesting thing is uh, I don't have a copy of it. I'm a, I'm a super fan, and I, I don't have a, a copy of it. Who's, well, who's I do got have, all though, these copies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But the interesting thing is what I, I bought a co- what I thought was a copy uh, in Germany and then uh, and then I realized it was bootlegged in Germany. Wow. So there's a version of it that's out there that was bootlegged and it's got a wow. it's got a bad pressing so it skips on one of the tracks. I can't remember which one, but it looks fantastic. The cover is great and everything, but at some point in the nineties, I guess, somebody in Germany was bootlegging bootlegging copies of it on vinyl. Uh-huh. So good luck to you. Yeah, I think, you know, what would you say, Jonathan? About $200, I think, to get a copy of that now, I would say, probably. Her original copy yeah, of Fall in the Hole. Not it's, sure. Uh, it's but a yeah, yeah. yeah, it would be. But, uh, yeah. Someone just needs to uh, uh, get down to Wellington and get those master tapes and yeah, uh, some pressed up. Yeah. All there. All there, yeah. Because like the, the, the people who've poured all the four records wouldn't know the difference, would they? They wouldn't be saying. Actually, I think you'll find that the, the, there was three scratches on the uh, runout of the original. Well, I was on this one. But I mean, if we if we start getting into that of the stuff that I should have kept hold of, I mean, it's. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think any of us have really, have we? In the band, no, 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 you know, yeah. I've not got original copies of any of the records at all. I don't think. Really? No. Wow. Nothing. Oh. <laughs> and you look, you look on that auction site and the, the set list written by Mark's going for like 800 quid or whatever, or ridiculous, maybe not that much, but I, you could have, I could have papered my bedroom with a with handwritten set list by Mark E. Smith at one stage, but uh, who ever thought that they'd be worth keeping hold of? Well, no, it's Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's you know there now there's now there's podcasts about uh, yeah, the is. fall and yeah, everything. So, you know, it just, uh, yeah, it's just the right. testament. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, we've talked about this before. Who thought in 1982, 83 that? people would still be talking about the... Int- I mean, I know two of them were there, but uh, or three of us were there, but... Uh, no, no, no one. There'd be any interest in that kind of stuff. No one. No. 40 years on. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's not just the fall either, is it? It's, you know, people are still talking about, you know, music, I think, then was seen as a sort of, for now, you know, be here now kind of thing, whereas it's gone completely the other way now, hasn't it? It's all like... And, and Jonathan, I think you've you've said to me many times, if you had kind of known now, uh, known then what you know now, you would have photographed a lot more of these bands that you went and saw, right? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would have. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I always regret that not taking a camera with me. Sure. Yeah. It would have been, would have, would have, would have tried to do a lot more for sure. But yeah, you perhaps you just, you just don't realize at the time. Because um, John Marr, John Marr Buscox, he always had a camera with him. He's a bit of an he's a, I mean, he's a brilliant photographer, but anyway. But, uh, and, you know, I just thought, like, wouldn't it have been great to have a camera and just sort of take, not not like pose, just like to, to just to get the, God, yeah. Wouldn't it have been amazing? You got some, you got some shots, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. on in dressing rooms and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I, I think presumably part of the reason that this stuff sought after is because nobody did that, I suppose, isn't it? It sort of builds itself in, doesn't it? Mm. It's, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it felt... And, you know, printing these days, well, I mean, certainly they're not worth anything. You know, they're all done on the computer. <laughs> Whereas Matt used to like yeah. that. I mean, I think about, you know, I went, I took took photos at the gig and I started taking, you know, more photos at gigs. But, and it was kind of a way, I guess, of you know, sort of hanging on to, hanging on to some memories of it. But, um, you know, the thing was that it was just so, you know, the fall came here in 1982. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, it wasn't like I was in the UK. I couldn't go and see them the next week and take more photos there. That was it. It was was all over, you know. And, um, yeah, it just did feel so far away from all of that, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, there was a, I saw a, um, a photo book some uh, some English guys did a few an English guy did a few years ago. I mean, he followed New Order around for a number of years in the early days and went to lots of their gigs and took took many photos. And when I saw that, I thought, yeah, that, that would that would be amazing. But yeah, this is the thing that <laughs> I only saw, I only saw them once back yeah. then. You know, when I was in a position to be there with a camera. Sure, I mean they did they did come back and I took took some took some photos of them at other gigs, but yeah, maybe it's just that sort of thing about being there for the first time as well. I did, I did yeah. see the fall again in 1990 at the Auckland town hall. Um, Steve, you were, you were still there, I think. No, yeah. still there. Yeah. 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 Yes. No, she yeah, was. She was. We come on, we've been, We've established yeah. that she was. <laughs> I know. I don't know I'm, coming I'm coming to this a bit late, but yeah, no, she was there, and and um, and Martin as well, because Martin was wearing yeah. the, the silver shirt. Silver shirt, yeah. He's wears oh. on the cover of Extra Cake because when he came on stage, I thought, oh, he's wearing the same shirt he's wearing on the old thing. Yeah. So is that the silver shirt? Speaking of, is that the one that went up for auction? Is that the same silver shirt? Yes, uh, I think it is. I think it is. Yes, I think so. Right. How much did it go for? Do we know? I don't know. Well, no. then, yeah, again, then we go back in ninety. So we go back in ninety nine, and there's still trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same bloody nonsense again. Yeah. I mean, luckily for Mark, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. Seriously, weren't dispensed with while we were at, at, halfway around the world, was it? No. Better, much better venue though, Steve. The Auckland Town Hall is, you know, that's a that's a that's a beautiful hall to play in. It's, beautiful venue, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. I remember that. That was a good gig. That was a good talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, yeah, it's a great venue. Well, if I, I mean, for people, so the reason it's called Fall in a Hole is because uh, Main Street was such a hole that uh, oh, Doug and Chris good. decided to call it that because it was, they thought that Main Street as a venue was such a shithole, they'd call it Fall in a Hole. Yeah, it was a, a it had been cabaret. <laughs> It was in in sort of dying days of, but yeah, it it had this sort of cabaret history. And because it was a cabaret, you could get in when you were, if you were 18, which was, which was very handy. Oh, right, because most places 21 then? Well, New Zealand was 20 then. It's 18 now. 20? It was 20 then. Yeah. But at, at Main Street, yes, you could, you could get in when you were 18, much to my, much to my parents' fury. <laughs> All right, so I, I, I always thought fall in a hole was uh, some kind of self-deprecating reference to New Zealand, not the venue. <laughs> Which it wasn't a hole. I thought it was, it was yeah, a great place, New Zealand. I mean, it was, you know, but uh, I don't. I, I think the, I don't think the venue was particularly worse than a lot of places we played. To be honest, we were, that was the kind of venue we we were used to playing. It was yeah. run down musicals. Yeah. <laughs> Manchester was full of them. Yeah. And no, no toilet backstage. I think that was probably the... What's <laughs> toilet backstage? No toilet backstage. No. No, you would have had to have taken your chances with the, with the boot boys. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, you know what's going to feel around. Or hang on, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, you know what it's like when you're a star. You don't want to be mixing with the, you know, the, the punks. No. You don't want to get mobbed on the way of the top. No, it's like good. anybody in this. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so we, that was that, that was Main Street it was the hole, wasn't it? Yeah, Main yeah. Street was the hole. It was yeah. a, I mean, when it was, I mean, I saw some amazing some amazing gigs there, but um, yeah, it was not well ventilated. So in the in the summer, it was just yeah, uh, you know the the ceiling you would get wet from from condensation you know the floors were wet the walls were wet the ceiling would drip on you this was sort of yes like during the summer it was was it was was a wonderful experience going to a gig in 1982 wasn't it It all needs catered for yeah yeah um how many people do you think were were, uh, packed into that place jonathan um well chris said on the sleeve that it was Perhaps six hundred. I was oh, I meant to get the record out and have a look. I, I think right, okay. I think perhaps eight hundred was would have been its maximum. Would have been its absolute limit. It wasn't big, you know. But um, there was sort of a mezzanine. Um, mezzanine. That was quite a lot for to, for us at that time, though, to play to that many. Yeah, yeah. I think there probably there would have been. Yeah, a couple of hundred people in there for sure. Perhaps five, six hundred. I'd, I'd have to have another look at the sleeve of the record because Chris does actually say how many he thought were there on the night. Uh-huh. What's your favourite track off the uh, record, Jonathan? Um, I like <laughs> I like English Scheme. Actually, I just like the that sort of roughness, that rough version, and I like. Is it a rough version? I must admit, I'm not massively familiar with the with the album as a as a piece of work. No. Not, not, not for a few years. <laughs> no, no, okay, get one. <laughs> I mean, I always liked. Yeah, I always liked the the versions we did on that tour of the um, Room to Live stuff. I always thought they really came into their own. Yeah. and started playing them live. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 
Oh no, we were good by that time. We've been constantly touring for six weeks, haven't we? we were... Yeah. About as good as we ever got, I think. Or maybe we were just maybe we were just knackered by then, I don't know. Yeah, well it's well, I mean, remember what Hamish said. He was like seeing the Rolling Stones at 64. Well, so that's an endorsement in yeah. itself, right? Yeah, there you go. It wasn't like seeing the Rolling Stones at Hyde Park, which is possibly the worst gig I've ever heard. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 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 right, on that bombshell, gentlemen, I think finally we can say we've reached we got out. We've got there. We were beset by we problems left yeah. and right, but we finally got with recording. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak yeah, to you, thank obviously. You. Yeah. Must appreciate you getting uh, what well, I don't you, you can what time is it then? So just for all for purposes of the tape, it's nine thirty three in the UK. So what is it where you are, Jonathan? Ten thirty three PM. Wow. No, yeah. yeah. And it's uh, one thirty in the morning oh my in God. Uh, Jesus. Vancouver, Canada, for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's above there me. You go. We must. We yeah, must thank you for your that's patience. really good. And thanks for your patience. I wouldn't have. Yeah. The, um, no, it was a, it was lovely to to do that. Well, can you can you perhaps fade us out with uh, when you when you put this together with that great version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing? It's that's a particular favourite of mine. The full okay, version. you got it. Yeah. If, I can, if I can get that, well, it's, it's what's it in it? It's a traditional R, isn't it? So there's no copyright on that, so we won't get done. So yes, I shall certainly do that. Thank you. Uh, Merry yeah. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Have a good Christmas. Yeah. Have a good one. I mean, I, I, right. I said that. This isn't going out till after Christmas, so I hope we had a good Christmas. We'll edit that in. Did you? Yeah. yeah. There we go. Happy New Year. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Happy New Year. Bye. Yeah. All the best. Bye. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us for this episode of Old Brother. The next episode will be released in just under two weeks, hopefully, all being well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Old Brother Show, where you can find links to our Spotify playlist. Or you can subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or RSS, and you'll be all set for the rest of Series 3. You can give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, or just tell your friends if you fancy it too. Further reading, our books about the fall, The Big Midweek and Our Bleeding Guests, are available from Root Publishers and all good bookstores. Needles and Plastic is available from bookstores everywhere, Third Man Record storefronts and direct from thirdmanbooks.com. Hope to speak to you all again soon and remember if you're driving, take your car. Ta-ra! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 